0: Good morning and welcome again. We're glad that you're here today. We hope and pray that all of you have had a safe and happy Thanksgiving. Hard to believe it's already come and gone. And now Christmas just around the corner. Unbelievable. Time gets away too fast. We're going to be looking today at Luke chapter 23, and we're going to be specifically looking at verse 33, where Luke records for us, the crucifixion of Jesus on Calvary's cross. And we're going to be talking about that in a moment or two. I do want to encourage everyone as the new year approaches and the old year begins winding down at a rapid pace, I want to encourage everyone to really make a concerted effort to close this year strong. By trying to be present at all of our services. Try to get in the habit of coming at every service so that when the new year comes, it'll be a habit and you can be here every time. I think you'll find that it will bless your life. And so we want to encourage everyone to make plans to do that, not just through the month of December, but also in the coming year. In Luke chapter 23, verse 33, Luke said, when they came to the place called Calvary, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. The most significant death that has ever occurred in the history of mankind took place 2,000 years ago, just outside the walls of Jerusalem. A man by the name of Jesus, died for the sins of the human family. Isaiah talked about the death of Jesus in chapter 53. And he would say in his prophetic book, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died on Calvary for you and me. And so I want us to think for a minute or two about the place called Calvary. I want to begin by suggesting that Calvary was a place of prophecy. I mentioned just a moment ago what Isaiah said in the long ago. And as you begin to look at the Old Testament scriptures, you find that many of God's great prophets foretold of the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, the Christ, the Anointed One, The Bible tells us that God devised a plan to redeem the human family. God in his infinite wisdom created a plan so that you and I might have the hope of life eternal. The Bible repeatedly talks about this divine plan. In Revelation chapter 13 verse 8, Jesus is identified as the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Paul would tell us in Ephesians chapter one that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The idea that Paul is articulating there is that before God ever laid the foundations of the world as we know it, he had a plan in place to redeem the crown of his creation. So as we think about this great plan, you need to understand also that prophetically speaking, there was what I would call God's person to redeem man. That person was Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. To think that God would demonstrate his love for the human family to the extent that he would send his beloved son so that we might have life. In order for God to bring this plan to fruition, first of all, Jesus, the second member of the Godhead, the Word, needed a body. And so in Hebrews chapter 10 at verse five, the writer takes us back to Psalm 40, verses six through eight. And he said, sacrifice and offering you would not But a body you have prepared for me. The Hebrew writer there is talking about the body that was prepared for the second member of the Godhead to inhabit or to tabernacle in. Now, the Bible tells us in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him and without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14, John would say, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus took upon himself human flesh, and so in order to bring the Christ into the world, first there was the need for a body, That body, as you well know, was prepared, developed in the womb of Mary. Isaiah foretells of the virgin birth in chapter 7, verse 14. Matthew says that that prophecy that was given 750 years before Jesus ever came to earth, that it was indeed fulfilled. An angel of the Lord spoke to Joseph in a dream. And he said, fear not to take unto you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for it is he that shall save his people from their sins. He said, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. He said, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being... Translated, God with us. Jesus Christ came to this earth for the purpose of redeeming us. And so we talk about his body, his birth, but what about his business? Did Jesus not emphatically state that he had business to attend to while here upon this earth? Do you remember at the age of 12 in Luke chapter 2, Luke narrates the events that occurred when Jesus and his family members went to Jerusalem to observe the Passover. And the Bible tells us that Jesus said to his family, to his parents, I must be about my father's business. What was that business? The Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's why when we read in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, that Jesus went to the cross. Why? To save us. As the angel said in Matthew 1, as Jesus said, he came for that purpose. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study, and that is Calvary was a place of pain. When we talk about the events surrounding the death of Jesus, you need to understand but first of all, there was a sentencing. In verse 20 of chapter 23, the Bible says Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. It's interesting to note that Pilate saw Jesus as an innocent person and yet he delivered him to be crucified. In verse 23, the Bible says, but the people, they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified and the voices of these men and of the chief priest prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. He released to them the one they requested, who for insurrection and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. As they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. The gospel narratives tell us that Jesus was scourged. The scourge was enough to kill any man. And so we find Jesus as he marches toward Calvary, falling beneath the weight of the cross. Simon has been called upon to bear that cross to Calvary, to Golgotha, the place of the skull, it's there that they crucified him. So there is the sentence, but then also the shame of the cross. Paul would tell us in Galatians chapter three, at verse 13, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The Romans perfected the art of crucifixion. They sought to inflict as much pain and torture as humanly possible. And so, the shame and disgrace of being crucified. Here's the innocent Lamb of God dying on Calvary's cross for crimes he never committed. It's interesting to me that when you read the account as it unfolds according to Luke's narrative that even one of the thieves recognized the innocence of Jesus. Listen if you would to what he said in verse 40. Do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man, talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Some translations say he's done nothing amiss. Jesus did not deserve the indignity or shame associated with the cross. Here is the creator suffering at the hands of his own creation. What about the suffering? associated with the cross. I'm not sure that we can fully describe and comprehend the intense suffering that Jesus endured for us. Imagine when they came to Calvary and they took the innocent lamb of God and laid him on a wooden cross and took spikes and literally welded his body to a wooden tree and then lifted him up. I said a moment ago that the scourge would have been enough to to kill any man. Jesus made it through the scourging and the Bible tells us that when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. Here is the son of God suspended between heaven and earth. Literally bearing the sins of the human family. You remember remember what Isaiah said centuries earlier. Of how the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was Jesus. Peter said that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. And then, what about the separation of the cross? I'm reminded that while on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had enjoyed a relationship with God the Father. That relationship had always existed. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, they, they had no beginning, they have no ending. And so you have this eternal relationship that has always been intact. And now Jesus is bearing our sins on Calvary. So when he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What we have there is a separation that occurs between God the Father and Jesus the Son. A separation that has never before occurred. But it occurred because of sin. Because of my sin. And your sins. John the Baptist said on one occasion, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus came to bear our sins. Again, as Isaiah said, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that I've ever committed, has been laid on on the head of the Son of God. He died at my expense. As we talk about this place called Calvary and the dramatic events that unfolded nearly 2,000 years ago, the third thing that I want you to consider is that at Calvary, a payment was made. What about this payment that was made for me and you on Calvary? The first thing that I would call to your attention is the fact that the debt for sin was settled. Where? On Calvary. By whom? By Jesus. Did you know That when Jesus paid the debt for sin, that debt was paid in full. Jesus came not only to ransom me from sin, but to redeem me from sin. The devil had taken the human family hostage, if you please. Jesus was the ransom price for sin. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for the many. And then the Bible says, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Peter said that we have not been redeemed by corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, To know that when Jesus died on Calvary, my sin debt was paid in full. That's a beautiful thing. To know that my sins can be forgiven because of what Christ, for God's sake, did 2,000 years ago. There's a second thing I want you to think about, and that is the deliverance from sin was secured. Who made that possible? Jesus did. Here's what you need to see. Number one, we are free from the consciousness of sin. Under the old covenant, the Bible talks about how there was a remembrance made every year of sin. Hebrews chapter 10. Because you see, those sacrifices that were offered under the patriarchal system, and under the law of Moses, those sacrifices were not sufficient. The Bible says it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Under the Mosaic law, if those sacrifices could have cleansed people from sin, they would have had no more consciousness of sin, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. The fact of the matter is, there was a remembrance of sin that's not the case today when you're baptized into Jesus Christ and you come up out of that watery grave of baptism the Bible says you enjoy the forgiveness of sins in other words every sin washed away done away the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 8 at verse 12 I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and then he said their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more When you you die to the love and the practice of sin through repentance, and you're baptized or immersed in a watery grave of baptism, the Bible says you rise to walk in newness of life. That old man of sin is done away. It's been destroyed. You are now free from the consciousness of sin. You don't have to deal with the guilt and the shame associated with sin. So we are free from the consciousness of sin, and from the condemnation of sin. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul would say, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine being on death row, condemned as a criminal, to die by execution? There are a lot of folks today, they're living on death row, and they have the awful sentence of death hanging over them day by day, month after month, year by year. Let me tell you what, there's something greater than being on death row, negatively speaking. And that is to be under the condemnation of sin and unrighteousness. And yet Paul said, in Christ we're free from condemnation. We're condemned no longer. Why, because we enjoy the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. There's a third thing I would add, and that is we are free from the consequences of sin. Paul said the wages of sin is death. The death that Paul is talking about in Romans chapter six, verse 23 is spiritual death. And the idea is that we suffer eternal punishment because of sin. The Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. God's desire is that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Peter said, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. To know that we can be saved from the consequences of sin. There are folks today that have the awful Consequences of sin hanging over their heads. And to just be as blunt as humanly possible, they're lost. They're without hope and without God in this world. The difference, however, is Paul said, In Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. Jesus is the difference maker in the lives of his people. As we talk about the events as they unfolded at Calvary 2,000 years ago, Calvary was a significant place just within the last couple of weeks. All eyes have been on Dallas, Texas Because of the events that unfolded nearly 50 years ago with the death of John Kennedy. Many people have been asked, where were you when JFK was shot? There are a lot of people that vividly remember the events that occurred on that tragic November day. If the world were to stand another 2,000 years what happened in Dallas will only be a footnote in the history of man. But what occurred on Calvary will be just as fresh. And why is that? Well, because of the hope that can be gleaned from that great day. Calvary is also a place of promise. Listen again to what Luke said. When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Jesus was dying for sin. But you need to understand that there was the promise of the resurrection. In John chapter 2, Jesus said on one occasion, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. He wasn't talking about the physical temple that was so important to the Jewish people of his day, but rather he was talking about the temple of his body. In Matthew 16 verse 21, Jesus to his disciples talked about how he would be going to Jerusalem And suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests, elders, and scribes, how he would be crucified and raised again the third day. Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but the Bible tells us that he was resurrected from the grave. I can read of his death. I can read where the Bible talks about the soldier that pierced the side of Jesus. They placed him in a tomb, a borrowed tomb from Joseph of Arimathea. They secured that tomb, but the bottom line is there were no powers strong enough to keep him in that grave. And so we talk about the promise of the resurrection. What about the power of the resurrection and its significance for us? The Bible says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus came forth from the grave. Paul said he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. The resurrection of Christ was the crowning moment in God's redemptive story. And the significance to us is that just as Jesus came forth from the tomb, we too one day will come forth from the tomb. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, that he has the keys to the cemetery. And one day he's going to unlock the keys, or rather he's going to unlock the doors of the cemetery, and every soul is going to come forth. That is, everybody. Think about that for a minute. In John chapter 11, when Lazarus had died, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so I know that one day when my life comes to an end, it may be the case that my body will be interred in a parcel of ground, in a cemetery. But death, the grave, will not keep me down. For the Lord will come, the dead will rise, and we'll go home to be with the Lord forevermore. What does Calvary mean to you? I would hope and pray that as we think about the events of Calvary, that we understand that what took place 2,000 years ago from a personal standpoint are extremely meaningful. We have no hope outside of Jesus. No one has any hope without the Lord in his or her life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If we want to be saved, it will only be through Jesus. And so what he did 2,000 years ago resonates with all. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised again. And the Bible says he'll come again. And so today I ask you this question. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? The Bible says in Acts chapter 11 verse 26 that those who followed the Lord, they were called Christians. Are you a Christian? If you're not a Christian, here's what you need to do. Number one, you need to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Number two, you need to repent of your sins just as they did on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38. Number three, you need to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Number four, you need to be baptized or immersed in a watery grave of baptism. Why? So that all your sins can be washed away, Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. And then number five, be faithful until death. With the assurance you will receive the crown of life, Revelation 2.10. Maybe you're here today and you're not faithful. Did you know the way of the cross still leads home? If you want to come back to the Lord, we'd love to see you do that today. We want you to understand that the Lord died for you. Don't let his death be in vain. Come home. The Bible says... Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. We'd be happy to pray with you and for you. And The Bible says God will abundantly pardon 1 John 1, 9. Would you come as we stand and sing?